Okay, so you got your Bibles with you. Go ahead and turn to John. John chapter 14. We are in week 7 of the 10 series. 7. Week 7. Wow. And this morning we are talking about potential. And I brought a picture of potential. Everybody said potential. potential. I've got a picture of potential. I think you're going to love it. It says potential. Not everyone gets to be an astronaut when they grow up. That is a great example of how the world sees potential. The world sees potential as, hey, everybody might have it, but not everybody's going to use it. Some people are going to do great. Some people aren't going to do great. And this morning I want to teach you something about Jesus. I want it to sink into you, John chapter 14, verse 12, that Jesus sees potential very differently than those fries. Okay, and here's what we find in John 14, 12. We're going to read it, and then we're going to read it again slowly because it's going to blow you away. John 14, 12, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, anyone, everybody say anyone. Anyone, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater, even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. That's, let that sink in for just a second, because if we're honest, that's a bit of a staggering verse. This is Jesus talking. You know who Jesus is, right? Right? He's not a soccer player from Mexico named Jesus. This is Jesus. This is the Son of God. This is the man who's walking on the earth, who's changing water into wine. He is raising people from the dead. He is, uh, Phil shared the story this morning, he's healing people without even going to their homes. He just says, be healed. And like people are here. He raised Lazarus from the dead. This is the Jesus that we're talking about. And he looks at his disciples and he says, if anyone has faith in me, not only will they do what I've been doing, they will do even greater, say greater, things than these. Jesus believes in your potential. Take a, person, take a look at the person next to you. Just go ahead and look at them. He believes in that person's potential to do greater things than he was doing. The question then is not does he believe we have potential and does the person next to you have potential to do great things for the kingdom of God? The question is how do we unlock that potential? And if you were looking at the person next to you honestly, that's what you were thinking. Um, Okay, Jesus, they've got potential, but <laughs> how in the world is this person next to me going to unlock that kind of potential? Because I am married to that person. He cannot even pick the underwear up off the floor. I go to school with that person. They flunk even when they cheat. How are they going to do greater things than Jesus? I mean, you say they have potential, but how are we going to actually unlock it? And that's the question we're going to talk about this morning. How do we unlock that kind of potential in the person next to you and also in you? And so we have to examine something that's not going to sound like a lot of fun, but when we're done, it will make sense. We're going to take some time this morning to understand brokenness. Brokenness. I'm going to teach you two truths about brokenness and then at the end, we'll see how it relates to unlocking the potential that Jesus sees in you. Here's the first truth, number one on your sheet and number one in your hearts. I've just always wanted to say that. It made no sense, but it was fun, wasn't it? Number one, everyone knows the pain 
Everyone knows the hurt of brokenness. Everyone knows the hurt of brokenness. Now, see, here's the funny thing about that. I make that statement, and if you look around the room, here's what people start to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it seems like, you know, the older we get, the more we know the hurt of brokenness. You say to somebody, hey, how are you doing? Well, my sciatic nerve's really kicking in today, isn't it? You know, we just all, we, we get brokenness, right? All of us understand brokenness. Life proves that point. Jesus knew it was true as well. There's a verse in John 16, 33. You've heard this probably before. Jesus says this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace because in this world you will have lottery winnings. That's not what it says, right? In this world you will have what? Trouble. In this world you will have trouble. Living proves it. Christians, we like to take that statement and we make it exclusive to us as Christians. So when we stand up for the gospel and we get persecuted, we get together as Christians and we say this, well, you know, in this world you'll have trouble. Well, I know that's true, but Jesus isn't just exclusively talking about Christians. He's talking about a principle that's true. In this world you will have trouble. It's a statement that is common to everybody. He knew it would not be long before they would experience the pain of his death. That's what he's talking to them about. They're like, man, we love you, Jesus. You were awesome. And he says, I know, man, but look, I'm going. I'm going to go, and I'm going to die on the cross, and I'm with you today, but soon I won't be with you. And I'm just letting you know that because in this world you're going to have trouble. How many of you, just out of curiosity, have lost somebody to death that you love? Raise your hand. Look around the room. In this world, you will have trouble. Maybe you've never experienced death. How many of you ever had a friend that moved away and you're not with them anymore? Loss. How many of you ever lost a job? In this world, you will have trouble. How many of you didn't raise your hand on any of those three? Just keep living, right? Just keep living. If you live long enough, something like that happens because in this world, you will have trouble trouble love jesus or don't love him someone you love is going to die sometime you're going to feel pain sometime you're going to feel hurt everyone knows the hurt of brokenness now we could if i was dr phil spend a lot of time diagnosing your hurt but we're not going to we're not going to take the time to figure out if mandy is hurting because of something that she did that was stupid or of something that was done to her that was stupid, right? We could spend time doing that because sometimes we're hurt because we make bad choices and sometimes we're hurt because other people hurt us. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter, does it? Because hurt is hurt. Believe it or not, I learned that principle on the exact same ski trip. On the exact same ski trip, I had something happen to me that hurt me because I was stupid. And then I had something happen to me that hurt me because somebody else was stupid. My very first skiing accident went like this. I was a youth pastor. I took a bunch of kids up to the mountains of North Carolina. We went through and got our stuff, like our equipment. You get your skis. You get all the stuff you need, your goggles, whatever. And then we got to the box that had the poles. You like to go skiing? I love to go skiing. I got to the box that had the poles, and as I reached in to get the poles, somebody said, I don't know who it was, I think it was a teenager, could have been Satan, somebody said, you don't need poles. Really? I don't, 
Are you sure? Because I like I watch the Olympics. They have poles. Nah, man. Cool people don't need poles. Well, I am definitely a cool person, right? So I did not get my poles. And so here's what happened. My very first skiing accident was not happening like up on the mountain. It wasn't like I was doing some phenomenal trick. I was just trying to stop in the lift line. And if you've ever been skiing, you know that like at the lift line, that's where the ice forms the most. And so I just was like on this, this incline. It felt like that, but it was probably more like mm, that. And I just could not stop. And I remember thinking, if I had poles, because I don't know what you really use poles for, but what I use poles for is I stick them in the ground like that and put them up against my chest so I won't fall into the person in front of me in the lift line. And I didn't have any poles, so I'm like trying to do the snowplow thing, and all I know is I knock somebody down who knocks somebody down who knocks somebody down. And when they all look back at me, I had a ski like over here stuck in the ground and one behind me stuck in the ground, and I was like, somebody didn't get poles. <laughs> stupid. Everybody say stupid. stupid. Man, sometimes we're hurt because we do stupid things. Sometimes we're hurt because somebody does something stupid to us. Like at the end of the day when I finally figured out how to ski and I'm going down on my last run, no poles, but I am, I am doing the whole thing. Like I'm going side to side, right? And I'm on the slope. If you've ever been skiing, you know that there's like one slope, everybody can see it. This is a slope that when you're drinking your hot chocolate in the lodge, you look up and go, oh, that's so cool. Look at them coming. That was the one. And I'm coming down and I, I am flying. Like at some point I couldn't get side to side anymore, so I just went, and I mean, I am booking it down, and I am feeling so good until the person in front of me fell. And when they fell, I had no way to stop, and so I just hit them. And when I hit them, my skis stopped, and I kept on going. Like, I'm flying through the air parallel with the ground, and I, boom, hit the ground, and I'm rolling down, and I landed, boom, sitting up just in front of everybody in the middle of that whole slope. Like, I've got kids that are in my youth group. They're on the lift going up, and they're clapping and cheering, 10, 10, 10, that was awesome, yeah. I mean, people are just going nuts. And I'm just like, what, 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 what just happened? My youth worker God bless his soul. He was one of those guys that was awesome and cool, and he, and he knew how to ski. I looked up, and he's coming down the slope. He's like doing the whole like. He comes up to me. What's up? Uh, I think, I've, I, think I've, I fell. My shoulder's killing me, man. He's like, oh, your shoulder? Well, let's just pray for it. Jesus just says, whoa, 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 Betty. Jesus will touch my shoulder, not you. Just prays for my shoulder, like he's waiting on the ski patrol. Ski patrol comes up to me. That's always fun, right? When you're the youth pastor, it's like, hey, what's up, ski patrol? That's cool. Get on the sled. Not getting on the sled. I'll just walk, go down, walk, find out I have a class five separation on my shoulder. Now, I don't know if you're into the medical field or not, but there's only six classes of separation. The sixth is bone through the skin. So I have no tendons here anymore. They're gone, which sounds weird. I have a nice little bump here. And I, I wanted to get it fixed, like, I don't want to have a bump on my shoulder. And the guy's like, well, can you move your arm? Yeah, I can move it pretty good. He goes, well, 
If you want, I mean, just cosmetically, we can open you up and we get one of those planers that you use on doors, and we can just like, <laughs> yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Thanks so much. And so the cool thing is I can actually move my shoulder up and down, like in the grocery store, like, hey, kid, check it out. Move your shoulder up and down there. Mommy, he freaking me out. Stranger danger. Right? Cause some, and all that happened because some idiot fell down in front of me. Sometimes we do stupid things. Sometimes people do stupid things to us. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, everyone knows the hurt of brokenness. Self-inflicted hurts. Other-inflicted hurts. End result of both is pain, embarrassment, brokenness. Too often, this is where people stay. Well, I'm, I was just stupid. I got hurt. I'm broken. I'll just stay here. Well, somebody did something to me. They were mean to me. They fired me. I'm just going to stay here. Never get another job. Never look for another job. Just stay mad and broken. A lot of people stay there. Everyone knows the hurt of brokenness. But only some, number two, only some know the hope of brokenness. I'll give you this. Brokenness hurts. It creates doubt. It alienates us. It can make us feel cut off from normal people. You ever, you ever been like that? You ever been so broken you can't even be around people? Because you feel like they're all normal and you're just a freak? Brokenness is hard. There are things that brokenness can do to anybody, no matter who they are, no matter what they may or may not even think about Jesus. But when we let Jesus come into the equation, everything changes. Just if you're still in John 16, 33, just take a quick look at the end of that verse. I love it. Jesus, he says the common statement, right? He says, in this world, you will have trouble. And then he finishes it on an up note. He says, but take heart. Why do we get to take heart if we're in trouble? Why, if we're hurting, if we're broken, why do we get to take heart? Because who overcame the world? Jesus. Because Jesus, he says, take heart. I have overcome the world. When we allow Jesus to come into the equation, everything changes. Not only does he know that we'll have trouble in the world, but he says we can have courage because he's overcome that trouble. And that's huge. Here's the thing. If you don't get anything else out of today, just get this. If you were willing to invite Jesus into the broken parts of your life, he says you can take courage because he's overcome the world. That's huge. If that's all that we learned today, that's enough. But here's some other stuff that brokenness does, that how God reacts to brokenness. Just write these verses down. Psalm 51, 17 says that he receives the broken. That verse actually says a, a broken and contrite heart and spirit he will not refuse. He receives the broken. Psalm 34, 18 says he draws near to the broken. I love that. He's a God who draws near to the brokenhearted. Matthew chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, says that he touches the broken. I love Matthew chapter 8. I love that story. I love it. I love it in the Bible when lepers would come up to Jesus. I mean, you know what lepers are, right? They're just like leaving parts of their body around. It's falling off. They were unclean. They had to walk around 
I literally ring a bell, yelling out, unclean, unclean, unclean. They couldn't be touched. And in Matthew chapter 8, how does Jesus respond to the broken leper? What does he do first? He touches them. So here's Jesus. He could have <laughs> gone up to the leper and said, I can't touch you because you're dirty, unclean. So, poof, be healed. All right, that's great. But what did he do? He touched the leper before he ever healed him. Listen, your brokenness, the stuff in your life that's broken, here's what I know. I know that you're around people. You're around people who will run away from you, just like you run away from drama. Am I right? People around you that are drama queens, drama kings, you typically go, ugh, God, they're such a drama queen. We run from people's hurt. We run from people's pain because we don't know what to do with it. Jesus is completely opposite. He receives the broken. He draws near to the broken. He touches the broken, and John eleven thirty five says he loves the broken. John eleven thirty five is a great verse to memorize because it's the shortest verse in the Bible. Who can tell me what it says? Jesus wept. Why did Jesus weep? Was he healing somebody that had bad breath? No. He wept because people that he loved had lost somebody, and their pain caused him to weep. Jesus loves the broken. Remember this. When it comes to your brokenness, to my brokenness, God is not in as big a hurry as we are. Man, I don't know how you are when you're in pain. Like, for me, middle ear infections. That's the thing, right? Nothing can make me scream, Mommy, quicker than a middle ear infection. I mean, I had to leave Boy Scout camp one time at 3 in the morning because I had a middle ear infection. I mean, I'm crying like a baby. That thing's hurt. Pain will just drive you to your knees. And when we're really in pain, you know what we want? Morphine, right? Give me some drugs. Make it go away. We get in a really big hurry. What I want you to know about God is he's not always in as big a hurry as you are. And that can sound a little bit mean, but here's what I want you to write down. He's more concerned with holding you than he is with healing you. I've told some of this before. When my kids get hurt and they come running up to me and they're like blood splurting everywhere, I'm not nearly as concerned with diagnosing them as I am with daddying them. Right? You ever watch parents just pick up filthy, yucky, bloody kids? And you're just, I mean, if you're not the parent, the first thing you're thinking is, ooh, that blood's not coming out. But the parent's just like, I don't care. I mean, I spent $300 on this blouse. Big deal. Come here. Pick them up. Man, when we're really hurt, God is more concerned with holding us than healing us. He will heal, but he wants to hold you first. He wants to daddy you first. The worst thing you can do as a dad is when your kids come running up to you and they're hurting, start teaching them lessons. And uh, listen, Dad, if you've done that, <laughs> just apologize to your kids. Bad parenting move. Kid's arm is about to fall off. It's like tethered on by a tendon. Well, I told you not to play like that. <laughs> well, I guess you got what was coming to you. Dude, that's not the time to teach a lesson. That's the time to get them to a doctor. That's time to pick them up and say, man, I don't care if you just got one arm the rest of your life. I love you. I'm sorry. There's plenty of time to fix later. You've got to start loving on people. And that's how God is. He wants to hold you. 
before he heals you. If we simply stop there, we've already unlocked a ton of hope and brokenness, but there's still more. What's the key word this morning? What are we talking about? Starts with a P, ends with an L, has O in the middle of it. Potential. We're talking about potential. According to John 14, 12, you and I have the potential to do great things for Jesus and for his kingdom. In fact, we have the potential to do even greater things. Today's big idea says it all. Here it is. Fill these words in. Our response to brokenness unlocks our potential for greatness. Our response to brokenness unlocks our potential for greatness. All right, just in case you're lost. Let's try to wrap it up this way. We all like good stuff, don't we? Yes? Okay, you're still filling in the blanks. We all like good stuff, don't we? Yes. Um, like chocolate. Oh, I love, I just love holding this thing. I love this. This is a five pound, five, everybody say five pounds. Say five pound bar of heaven right here. God, who likes chocolate? Yeah. Oh, who's glad they're in the front row? Yeah. See, to me, this is so good. Such a great little illustration. Life, we like five pound chocolate days, don't we? What are five-pound chocolate days? Those are like the days that you get a raise at your job, right? Those are the days when she says yes, which, let's be honest, guys, doesn't happen a lot, right? We love these kind of days. We, we love the thought of potential, what God can do through us. But if we've learned anything in this life, what have we learned? about these kind of days. They don't last. They don't last at all. Because this is what life does. It breaks us. Again. And again. That's what happens in life. Now here's the question. Here's the question. What do we do then? Our response to brokenness unlocks our potential for greatness. Our response to brokenness unlocks our potential for greatness. John 16 33, take heart, why? Because who has overcome the world? Jesus. Take heart, because I have overcome the world. Here's what the enemy says to you and I. Your life is over. When this happens, your life is over. But here's what the Bible says. Turn to John chapter 12, 24. Jesus knew something that you and I need to know this morning. John chapter 12, verse 24.
I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Are you reading the 10-10-10 reading plan? Raise your hand. Then you've already seen this principle. You saw this principle in Mark. In Mark chapter 6, when Jesus fed the 5,000. When he had five loaves of bread that were whole, did he have enough? What happened when he took the bread and he broke it? Suddenly there was more than enough. The Bible says at the end of that, after he had fed 5,000 people, which really was like 12,000 when you count the women and children, that five whole loaves was never enough. But when he broke the he passed them out. And how many basketfuls of broken pieces did they pick up? Twelve. More than enough. Brokenness is not the key. Because if we were all, if that was the key, then everybody you know in your life that's broken would be like fulfilling their potential. But how many of you know people who are broken and there are bitter people? They are bitter people because they've never responded well to brokenness. It is our response to this moment that unlocks our potential for greatness. The broken pieces of your life are not the end. In fact, sometimes brokenness is the beginning of what God wants to do in your life. Here's how I know brokenness is not the end. Anybody still want some chocolate? Anybody ever here want some chocolate? Now, this one's been on the floor. It's kind of nasty. Anybody want a piece of chocolate? Yeah? Anybody want that piece of chocolate? Come on. Come on up here. I'm to the back. Come on. Come on, guys. Come on. Hurry, hurry. You have to share that. He's like, forget it. I'm not sharing that. There's no way. There's one right there. A couple more pieces. Anybody on this side want chocolate? Y'all all want chocolate. You're just not one. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Sorry, Connie, but that piece of roof is going to smell so good. Anybody else want some chocolate? I've got plenty right here. See, brokenness is never the end. Brokenness is always the beginning. Always the beginning. Um, who can tell me what the Great Commission says? What are we supposed to do with Jesus? Take him where? To all the world. You ever feel like you can't get to the whole world? I do. I feel like I can't get to the whole world. Do you know how God actually multiplies us to the world? He breaks us. And guess what? I could never have given all of you that bar of chocolate. Only one gets that bar of chocolate. But now I can give so many more of you chocolate if you want it. Anybody in this row want chocolate? You already raised your hand, Parker. Nice try. There's a piece. All right. Oh, how could I have missed this huge piece of chocolate? Anybody ever here want chocolate? Oh, you did? I don't know if I can trust him. He's my son. Oh, good catch. So what happens with brokenness? We have miracles, right? I'm talking to Terry before church, and I'm going to get I hope I don't get this wrong, but Terry needs to have some surgery. And he was told by the doctor he was not going to be able to have it anytime soon. And so Thursday night, if you're on Facebook and you follow Terry, you saw him post this. I could really use a miracle. Brokenness is not the end. 
Friday morning, the doctor calls him. He's scheduled for surgery. This is the way God works. Brokenness, brokenness, brokenness is not the end. It is the beginning. If you respond the right way. If you respond the right way. Already got some. All right, let's see if we can land this thing. It's not enough to be broken. Everyone is broken at some point, and many are not better as a result. That's some good chocolate. Mm. Write this down on your sheet. A little life principle for you. People die the way they live. People die the way they live. Let me explain to you how this fits into brokenness. Have you ever, of course, I'm showing the insanity of my mind. I've always heard the reports about like when planes go down and they crash. I've always thought to myself, <clears throat> I'd love to be the pilot. Not necessarily because I want to die, but because those pilots know they're going to die. The people in the plane don't necessarily know. I mean, they know something weird's going on, right? That's why they're starting to hold those seat cushions and think, oh, God, will it really function as a life preserver, right? As a flotation device. But the pilot, the pilot knows what's happening. He's looking out the window. He sees the ground approaching. And I've always thought, if anybody should go to heaven, it should be the pilots. Because they know that the end is near. All they have to do is say, Jesus, I'm sorry for everything I've ever done. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. And they're in heaven playing a harp. But when they find the black boxes that record the last conversations between pilots and co-pilots, do you know what they're usually full of? A lot of cussing, a lot of anger, a lot of I can't believe this happened and we're not, I don't care if we do a good down. I thought, how crazy is that? When you know the end is near. Maybe you know people who have had, they know they have a terminal disease. They know they're going to die. And you always think, why won't they just make themselves right with Jesus? Because of that one principle I just gave you. People die the way they live. People don't get better just because they get broken. They get better because of how they respond when they're broken. And typically, when we get broken, it reveals a couple things about us. Here's some things it reveals about you. It reveals what's inside you. Now, that's not a hard principle to grab, is it? You break an egg, and a rooster does not come out. Right? Break an egg, bubble gum does not come out, unless it's a plastic Easter egg. But if you break an egg, an egg is coming out. When you get broken, what's in you comes out. That's why you know some people, when they get broken, they get more mad. Because what was already in them? Anger. It's already there. And when they got broken, it just revealed what was inside. You know some people, when they got broken, Jesus came out. What's in you is revealed. When you get broken, we see what's in us. When we get broken, we see who is with us. That's why some of you don't have friends anymore. Because you're so broken that people don't know if they want to be around you. You find out who your true friends are, don't you? When you're broken... Because when you're broken, not only do you find out what's in us, we find out who is with us, and then we find out what comes from us to the world. And here's what I have to tell you this morning. This is the hard truth. 
Until the answer to each one of those is Jesus, you and I will never unlock our full potential to do great things for his kingdom. Brokenness reveals who's in us. That's got to be Jesus. Brokenness reveals who is with us. It has got to be Jesus. Brokenness reveals what we can give through ourselves to the world. It has got to be Jesus. And all that you'll ever know is what comes out of you when you're broken. If you're broken right now, you got pieces of your life that are shattered. If we just followed you around for a day or two, we could probably tell you what's inside you. Because people that are crazy in love with Jesus, they don't like to be broken any more than anybody else does. But when they are, Jesus comes out. And when Jesus comes out, it unlocks the potential that we have to do great things for his kingdom. I want you to know this this morning. Your life is not over because you're broken. It is possible that your life could only just be beginning. If, and I don't have it, I had a $100 bill and I held it up and I tore it a little bit and then I ran it through a bunch of dirt and then I took it out on the farm and I rolled it around where the pig slop was and I brought it and then I went over where the cows were and I found a big pile of cow, mm-hmm, and I ran it through that, washed my hands, and brought it back here and held it up and said, anybody want a $100 bill? You know what I know about you? You'd be like, me please. Because dirt doesn't take away the value. Brokenness doesn't take away your value. Right now you're thinking, I wish you'd done that $100 thing instead of the Hershey bar. <laughs> your pain, your brokenness, it does not define you. What defines you is how you respond to it. And our response has got to be Jesus. The last verse, and then we're going to take some time to pray. Is Matthew chapter 9, verse 12. Matthew 9, verse 12. Jesus is hanging out with Matthew and some of his friends. The Pharisees got mad because Jesus kept eating with sinners. They weren't invited to the cool table, so they got mad. Jesus said in verse 12, on hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. So here's what we know about that, just based on that verse. We know that Jesus came to the broken. That what we don't know, and this is an answer, it's a question only you can answer. We know that Jesus came to the broken. What we don't know yet is will the broken come to Jesus? Will the broken come to Jesus? And that's me and you, right? Will we come to Jesus with our broken pieces and say, God, I don't know how you can do this, but here, take this brokenness and make me still sweet and usable. Do what you do with these broken pieces. I can guarantee you this. 
You were called to do greater things in this earth than even Jesus. I didn't say it. Joel Olstein didn't say it. Jesus said it. He said that you and I have the potential to do greater things in this life than he did. And the only way that we'll realize that potential is responding to brokenness the way Jesus did. How did Jesus do the great things he did? Anybody know? Did he go to a seminar, How to Be the Messiah, 101? No. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus learned to be obedient even to death on the cross. He became obedient to death on the cross. So did Jesus know brokenness? Y'all have never been on a cross, have you? <laughs> if we'd been on the cross, we'd be like, uh-huh, yeah, oh, yeah, he knew brokenness, yeah, the whole nails, ow, hurt, thank you. Jesus knew brokenness. So if he had to be broken to do what he did, we cannot begin to think that we're going to be able to do greater things without being broken. So everybody do this for me. Make up your mind right now that I'm going to get broken. Go ahead and just say it. I'm going to be broken. Now, you got to say it louder than that. I know it's not a fun thing to say, is it? But say it again. I'm going to be broken. You just need to go ahead and get that out of the way. And we can go through verse after verse after verse where Jesus said things like, in this world you will have trouble. We've already read that one. Peter writes later on, why, do you, why are you surprised? Don't be surprised at trials that come. So we'll go ahead and get that out of the way, right? Now, how many of us hate that? Be honest. Raise your hand. I hate that. I would love any other way than that to learn my lessons. But it is what makes us useful in the hands of Jesus. It is what allows him to multiply us to the world. I can tell you right now, gathering, the way that he's going to revolutionize this city through our church is because he's going to break us so that we can be scattered. We've already read it in Acts. This is what he does. The good news is what breaks us does not define us. It does not end our usefulness to Jesus. And how we respond, how you respond, unlocks your potential to do great things for his kingdom.